It's a whirlwind battle you won't want to miss. Four wild superheroes against four wild superheroes. Sit back, fans. It's a wow hour of power. You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship! All right, listeners out there, you ready? Here we go. How you doing? This is Mr. Green, and you are listening to The Rights and the Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. And we have, uh, I guess, one of the bigger matches that took place inside of WOW over the, the course of this episode, episode uh, 32, titled Even the Score. So, uh, let us get to this and go through the uh, standard four matches that WoW likes to present um, week in and week out. Um, uh, there is one thing that I wish that they would do with that. I, I, I get that that's their uh, format and that they like to do it, but you know, it would, it would probably be good for them every once in a while. They did it once. In that horrible episode that they put off uh, in the Comic-Con thing. But uh, if they could just make it less predictable. that's Predictability isn't bad. But every once in a while, you know, you, you might want to have a match that can exceed past a commercial break. Just, you know, just for the sake of... Of not not change, but uh, getting rid of fans resting on their laurels. I mean, if they watched this show long enough, if you've seen it for a couple of weeks, you would probably know that at some point, all right, it's 15 minutes past the hour. This match is about the end, or it's bottom of the hour. It's it's 11:30 at night. This match should be over with now. Or we going to the next one. Or okay, it's. Uh, 11.45, time for the main event, and they're clearly not going to go past that, so we'll know who's winning. You know, just, there, there's not a sense of unpredictability as it relates to their wrestling program. I mean, it's I know it's hard to do that in a taped environment, but it, it lacks unpredictability just in the format that is in. I mean, taped or not. But yeah, again, you know, that's, that's kind of a... Uh, a different thing so we'll, we'll we'll leave that alone and we'll move on into the review that wow has again four matches the matches that they had for the show uh amber rodriguez versus steffi slays randy rara and coach campanelli versus uh the disciplinarian and gi jane of course with samantha smart the third match is uh, uh sanchez sylvia sanchez and vivian rivera taking on jessica jones and americana 
And of course, the main event, the show, I mean, the match that the show is built around mostly is the Fabulous Four versus the Island Dynasty. Now, this is the the match again that is mainly built around and of course as it should be the, these are your main event players um i don't remember if i said it in the previous podcast uh, but i will say it now i wished that this would have had a little bit more build up to it um it just seemed that it was relatively quick when they could have gotten something uh, bigger off of it, I think. But, you know, we we will uh, get to that as we get to it. I'm sure if not now, I'll bring it up again because it, this is a norm here. Is that, you know, they don't, they build up the stuff week to week. You know, it, it's, it's about filling out the television it's about making sure that hey we got another good match here for the week that there is no and i'm talking about it now so i might as well just go ahead and get it out uh but there is no uh pay-per-view on the horizon or premium event if you're wwe or a live streaming event or you know whatever there's none of that that exists for a while so there's no chapter in or hallmark or milestone that they're trying to get to that these shows lead into. They just go from one thing to the next. It's just week to week to week to week to week. And I get the impression that this particular match, the four and four, the Fabulous Four versus the Island Dynasty, as nice as the match might have been, and we'll talk about that, it didn't get, in my view, the build that it should have had. You know, this should have and again, you know, I, I'm going to repeat myself quite a bit here. In my view, this should have been a a stronger feud between the two. There, there's hard feelings there. This has been going on for, especially when you're roping in the Tonga Twins and Sweet Heat. That there should be hard feelings there. And and Tiki Chamaro, they've essentially attempted to bully her. They cheated Makona out of the championship. So. You would think there would be a little bit more to it than that. I mean, uh, in terms of building it to this point, yeah, there was uh, uh, fierceness in the match, and yeah, there was fire and heat, but it wasn't. Uh, it just, it just wasn't a strong build to get to this point where it was like, ah, oh, man, I have to see this. It just was what it was. Um. The show starts the way that the show always starts. It, it kicks off the uh, the segment or the episode with telling you what is going to be the main event for the evening. And as I just said, it is the eight-person tag, the four and four, you know, however you want to uh, get that. Um, Once you get past that, then you're going into the normal episodes. You're talking... Amber Rodriguez, as I just said, without her partner, Gigi Gianni is not there with her this time. And Steffi Slades, who is, you know, I, I guess a up-and-coming uh, wild superhero. She's still kind of building herself up, and she's getting to that. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Uh, maybe there is a future there for her, with, you know, without getting uh, trampled and beaten, you know, <laughs> all the time. Uh, this is a cold match, as a lot of them are. There's really nothing here. There's no uh, uh, angle or storyline that's underneath it. It's just a match to kind of fill time. It you know feels like. Uh. It's basic and it's decent and and you know again there's, there's how can you really complain about it? It's, it's just it's just a match for the sake of uh, having these young ladies look good on TV and filling out the time. As I said, you know, WoW insist on having four episodes. I mean, four matches per episode. The exception being the Los Angeles Comic Con episode. Then they did three, but they had a lot of filler in that with uh, you know backstage vignettes and Candy Crush being scared out of her boots going into the haunted mansion or whatever it was. Uh, so if you if you check out the match, it is a uh, fairly moderate pace. Rodriguez looks good. Uh, Steffi looks good too. And uh, as much as I have given Keita Rush credit as one half of the Bully Busters and somebody that that largely um, is all wild trained, I would say Steffi Slays deserves some of that also. She deserves that she has worked a little more and, and or at least her presentation has gotten a little stronger, I think. Um... <laughs> There was a spot that took place in this match with Rodriguez, and if you get the chance, like, go and find this. I mean, it is uploaded on their YouTube right now. But uh, there's a spot in the match where Slays takes Rodriguez down. She's laying in the middle of the ring after you know following goes in there, a hip toss, I believe. And Slays goes for the cover, couldn't get her, but she goes. Like, hey, I'm going to go. And uh, after she's pushed off by Rodriguez, goes towards her feet. Let's just say, like, hey, I'm, guys, I'm going to put her in the figure four. That, that's kind of the, the mode. I mean, she never actually got a chance to grab her feet. Because Rodriguez kicked <laughs> Slays' feet out from underneath her. And that in and of itself wasn't what I wanted to see. But when Slays goes down. And I'm not sure if she intended to do this or Rodriguez intended to do this or it's just an overall botch. But the kick in the left knee makes Slays go down. But when she comes down, her head comes down on Rodriguez's right knee. And I right knee and shin. I was like, okay, did she that could not have been planned. That couldn't have been planned. That just, I mean, it. Would it have been a nice move if it had been worked out that way? Yes, but it, when she got kicked and she came down, I'm pretty sure she just dropped and her head just happened to come across the knee, which I know she felt that. I know she did because I was like, good grief, that that did not look nice. I mean, she continued the match, shook it off, wasn't like she was bleeding or she got a big lump on her head or something like that. So it wasn't uh, a... Uh, super duper injury, but but again, I, I think it's probably a little unfortunate, and I'm sure it hurt <clears throat> because wrestling hurts. 
I know people don't want to believe that, but it actually is true. Wrestling does hurt. Okay, so going towards the end of the match, because all the other things that take place in here, I'm not going to say aren't important, but they, you know, we have other uh, things to get to. Uh, again, Slays is uh, hanging in here in this match. You know, that early in her career, she, she would pretty much get overpowered slash dominated and all that stuff like that. But she actually made it, or I don't know if it was she alone, but she was able to make this look very competitive and stay in there with Rodriguez. The end of this match takes uh, the gory bomb attempt from Rodriguez on Slays. Slays, in setting this up, Pitcher, if you will, Rodriguez is across the ring inside of the corner of the turnbuckles. She gets monkey flipped out of the corner and Slays comes up to try to get the pin. Now, you know, Rodriguez doing the normal heel thing. Please, no, don't touch me. But when Slays charges in, drops to a hole and Slays goes face first now into the second turnbuckle. From the bottom, Rodriguez picks her up, goes for what looks to be a gory bomb now. Maybe the editors might should have trimmed this down a little bit because it seems like Rodriguez was waiting on Slays to get in her position so she could turn that into a backslide, which is what she did. It just took a couple of seconds to really kind of hook it in and, and get down there and, and get the pin. And that's what happened. Slays gets out of the, the gory bomb, unhooks herself from Rodriguez's control, rehooks the arms on the way, and turns it into a backslide. Amber Rodriguez is defeated. So the inexplicable heel, Amber Rodriguez, loses another one. And I'm really questioning what she went to being a heel for in the first place because she has gained nothing. She hasn't gained anything partnering up with Gigi Gianni. They lost immediately when, as you know, their first time out as a team. They've lost consistently since then. They clearly cannot be looked at as any sort of viable contender to anything under the sun. Amber Rodriguez has not won anything but by taking the cheap or quick or easy route by turning into a heel. So not sure where that was going with either. And if we go beyond that, it's not like the show was lacking in heels. Like, oh man, we just lost somebody. We gotta get a we gotta get another heel in here. Except for Gambino left, so they just swapped her out. But then, you know, as I'm looking at this match, like, well, okay, Gianni went like two or three weeks as a single when they were singing the praises of, hey, you know, her partner left and now she's on her own and look at her go and all that stuff like that. And now she's back into a tag team, which that tag team did not appear here. It just went into singles. So, <laughs> so I don't know, you know, necessarily what direction they're going with here other than, like I said, there appears to be times in the course of the show that they just have to get matches in just to kind of feel. And and I, I understand that. You, you got an hour. And you got a weekly program. And you got to provide that program through syndication all the time. So, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. It's just, you know, when you look at it in the terms of the rules of the universe that they created, sometimes the events in their universe don't make a lot of sense. Uh, the next segment... Uh, was a recap of the main event. 
for the title with uh, Pink and McCoy. The same thing I just told you at the beginning where they recap uh, McCoy losing and what set up this eight-person tag. So we, we can move beyond that. Uh, segment three, uh, excuse me, segment four, we're backstage and Randy Rara, Rara 2.0 in Coach Campanelli's favorite location, which is apparently the uh, the green room or the dressing room. And here's another vignette, and I cannot say that it's totally played up for comedy, but it is uh, lighthearted. So you got Campanelli and you got Rara, and they're in there doing their thing and they're talking and what, what have you. And then come Samantha Smart. And uh, I uh, forgot you have to set this up and that her whistle, Coach Campanelli's whistle, is nowhere to be found. And then now here comes Samantha Smart. Uh, Smart comes back, you know, and gives them, you know, gives them a little lip. And then she returns. Well, I shouldn't say returns. Even though that's what she did, she kind of tosses it to him like she found it somewhere. And once she gives it to the coach, Rara's like, oh, can I blow the whistle? Please, please, please. You know, and, and now she's, all right, well, just one time. And so Randy Rara is like a five-year-old. And that, yeah, I get to blow the whistle. Yay. You know, so she takes the whistle and she puts it in her mouth and she's unable to blow it for whatever reason. Campanelli's like, see, this is why, you know, I blow the whistle, but now is it's clear and evident that the whistle is stuck and Rara can't get it out of her mouth. Uh, apparently, I wrote down, apparently this is some fast acting glue which is sealed instantly that, you know, the moment that Rara used it. And, you, you know, this is where you have to just kind of, you know, give concession to TV magic. So we'll, we'll just assume that this high industrial strength glue Settled in the second that uh, uh, Rara put it around her mouth. And the, the note that I had underneath this is, isn't Samantha Smart supposed to be in a feud with the mother truckers? And that was highlighted because now we're going off into something else. So anyway, and I'm, I, I guess they'll get back to that at some point. So of course this vignette leads into uh, the next match which is the disciplinarian and her new partner, G.I. Jane, with their manager, Samantha Smart, taking on Coach Campanelli and Randy Rara. Now, again, we go into a kayfabe universe mode. At what point would it have been smart for somebody who had something physically glued in their mouth to decide to go and do something physical anyway? I mean, <laughs> really, what... What smart person would do that? If anything, like you're coming out here with this whistle stuck in your mouth and you decide to wrestle the match anyway. So the story there is that this whistle is supposed, now that it's stuck and she can't really open her mouth, her, her breathing is compromised. I guess she cannot breathe through her nose either. But, you know, but I can understand that saying that it, it's not as... The airflow isn't as, as, as good as it would be. So, you know, hey, I understand. But why is she there in the first place? 
if I'm a heel and I'm standing across the ring and I know what we did, we put some fast acting industrial glue in this thing and now I stuck it in your mouth and I see you come out here with this thing and I'm, I'm going to rip that thing out of your mouth. Just pull on the strap because the strap is still there. I'm going to pull on this as hard as I can and yank it out of your mouth because he was stupid enough to come in here. This match either should have been canceled or it should have been changed because clearly David McClain will do whatever is needed to make the baby faces happy. He, you know, he's not an impartial matchmaker. He, he just, as long as you're a baby face, you'll get what you want. So I, they should just came out here and like, all right, look, I can't do this. I can't, she can't wrestle. But they did it anyway. So now we have the match and... <clears throat> We've got a compromise, uh, uh, Randy Rara. And, you know, I, I forgot, I, I did go a little too fast there. And saying they started the match, what I forgot was that Samantha Smart cut a promo. And I definitely should not overlook that because that's one of the things that I have gone on and on about with WoW is that some of these people here, the managers in particular, need to be able to speak. Well, all of them need to be able to speak, but, you know, if you're trying to justify your position or justify your pay or, you know, why you're a manager, you definitely need to be able to speak. You need to be able to get up there and talk and let people know what's going on. Now, she didn't say all that much. <laughs> she she gave, you know, the I guess what you would consider the normal heel shtick. She comes out with, with a... Uh, uh, the bottle of glue. Now, I don't know if everybody that was in the audience could see it, but, you know, we understand because we've seen the vignette first and she's got her mouth stuck and now we, and the commentators have talked about it ad nauseum. So, all this is fine and more importantly, like I said, get into what Smart was doing with the, uh, the promo. At least she got in there and she was willing to be uh, just mean and a jerk and you know you tell everybody shut up you know do do the normal manager stuff now again was there a lot of substance in that no it's not like she was cutting one of the great heel promos in in wrestling much you know or wow much less wrestling but she relayed to the live audience what has happened which i'm sure is the primary reason why she got the microphone anyway because I'm assuming that they didn't see whatever vignette allowed you to know that her this whistle is in her mouth. And they need to know why this woman who's coming out here in a cheerleading outfit has this whistle and does not take it out through the entirety of the match. So that is the story and that she has a hard time breathing. The heels, of course, are enjoying this and they're laughing at her and all that good stuff like that. And Campanelli is, for the most part, seemingly in a uh, uh, handicap match. So, Ra-Ra starts it out with G.I. Jane. And we're not going to do a a blow for blow here, but we're going to go to the important parts. The important part here is that uh, Ra-Ra seemed not to be all that high strung about what they did to her until she got a tag. It's like, okay, the camera's on me now, so now I have to play that part. Which I I didn't particularly care for. I thought I was like, okay, this 
seems just the, the timing of that just felt odd. But I was like, why aren't you out there yelling at her now? Why aren't you chasing somebody? If, you, if you're so incensed by this, why is it that you just got to the point where as soon as I tag, now I'm mad at you? And mad, and I don't mean mad like she took the tag and ran across the ring and beat everybody up. I mean, mad like she took the tag and then jumped down to the floor and started yelling. Well, not yelling. She couldn't yell. But mad like she jumped down to the floor and gave the evil eye. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and now just uh, starts pointing at Samantha Smart and stuff like that. And I shouldn't say the tag. She did not tag. She actually walked away from her partner. Campanella, again, like I said, she was in most, mostly in the beginning phases, a, I guess what you would consider a handicap match. There was a tag to a slap to the wrist, but Rara did not get in. She just started looking at uh, uh, Samantha Smart, jumped down to the floor, and more or less just kind of walked away around the ringside like she was going to go after Smart. So she was the legal person despite the fact that the referee didn't count or anything like that. She just, you know, I, I got to get my hands on her or something like that. The disciplinary jumps down and, and prevents that, though. Uh, so we, we have this going on and not maybe 30 seconds into this match when she actually gets into the ring, she, you know, does the old, the mimicking the old, uh, I can't breathe deal and Samantha Smart's giving her lip on the outside and I, I'm sure she's doing what she can to hold, to, you know, to actually hold this thing in her mouth because I would hope there's not actual glue. <laughs> so... So we have this, and Ra-Ra is now the, the weak link, and it is a lot of pantomiming of her inability to breathe and her being mad at Samantha Smart, who didn't really get the chance to cheat like she should have, but she at least tried. This is, uh, this is not Ra-Ra. This is the disciplinary and the G.I. Janes kind of, not shining moment. The, the the spotlight is more on the on the babyface team, but this did well for them, for the uh, the heels here. They were able to you know actually start getting the win. The disciplinarian had been so you know done so badly in the beginning phases, particularly with her original partners. That uh, you know, I almost kind of lost hope that she would ever be in anything meaningful. But now she's actually on a heel team that has scored a few wins. So at the end of this, you know, we got the disciplinarian in the ring. Uh, Campanelli shoots her across, takes her into the corner, and for whatever reason, Randy Rara decides to tag herself in, even though she's unable to breathe, and we've made it very clear that she can't breathe. She tries to go charging across the ring, but then she stops because she sees the Samantha Smart, and that gives just enough time because of her stupidity to the disciplinarian to get up there and put a sleeper on her. Now, she is already shown that she can barely breathe. So the story is clear here in that the disciplinarian is just going to put her out. The part that got me with here is that you got the disciplinarian with a sleeper on her, but that wasn't enough, and I... On the one hand, I get the fact that she's a heel and she had to do some heel stuff, but couldn't you do it behind the referee's back? <laughs> couldn't you at least do it behind the ref's back? 
she, she takes Rara down to the mat, and she's you know she got the sleeper locked in, and we're clear it's not a choke. She's got she's got a sleeper in, but as she's going down, the disciplinarian takes her right hand and puts it, clamps the nose of of Randy Rara at the same time. So we got a, a half sleeper and. Her nose. Now she's just being suffocated, and it's not. And it's not like the referee made any attempt to blame. Hey, let that go or disqualified or nothing because he just let it happen. She goes down. He calls the match, and the disciplinary GI Jane win. So on the one hand, I am happy that the disciplinary GI Jane won. They needed to win. On the other, I'm like, don't make the referee look like a complete idiot. <laughs> you know, at least try to do these things behind behind his back. Turn the body, you know, smash the smile, get out there, yell at him, get his attention, something. G.I. Jane, tap his shoulder, whatever. Just long enough so that the disciplinarian could have pinched the nose and put her down, which is what she did. And, you know, we get the story across. And that's all the story was. It was, you know, they got outsmarted. And against the better judgment of any reasonable person, Ra-Ra got into the ring and decided to wrestle when she should have been in the hospital to begin with. Even though they started talking about, yeah, I guess she's going to the hospital afterwards. I mean, it was just ridiculous and an act of babyface stupidity to get in there in the first place. Uh, so, Team Smart wins. Yay. Or I guess if I'm going to be you know, representing the fans, boo. We got another show recap going into the next segment, which preps for Exile versus uh, Princess Ozzy and Candy Crush. Or at least that's what it seems. We are, you know, only time will tell. Next segment is the third match of the night, which is Sylvia Sanchez and Vivian Rivera, so, uh, Sophia Lopez's new team, and of course she's out there with them, going against Jesse Jones and Americana. Now, as much as I gave crap to the last match, I have to do a little bit here as well. So we got Sanchez Rivera come out, you know, and uh, do the, the old heel thing. Jesse Jones and Americana come out next. Americana comes out first, Jesse Jones comes out after, and she's got this large brace on her knee and crutches. And despite that, she's insisting, like, I got a match. I got to wrestle. You know, that's, you know. clearly she could barely move, but she, I got a match. I'm gonna, I need to wrestle. You know, again, it's the baby face thing of I'm going to fight through this regardless of what situation I'm in. We just saw a baby face attempt to fight through something in the previous match. And now we got another one that's coming out here to try to fight through a situation that they got no reasonable idea to try to fight through or no reasonable reason to try to fight through. Just look, sit down. You can't move. And I would, you know, now going back to how she got injured by the heavy metal sisters, I, I wish they had uh, done more to try to really accentuate an injury because, uh, you know, People get hit in the chairs all the time. Like, how is this one the, the, the one that cracked her knee or whatever the case may be? And I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but, you know, 
It would have been nicer, at least for TV, if the attack was more vicious. A couple of, you know, several chair shots. And and if the camera wasn't right there to show you that the chair actually didn't connect. It, it, would, it would have been nice if those things had taken place. But the first note that I put is, uh, why is Wild just discovering that she's on crutches directly before bell time? You're telling me nobody saw her walk wandering around the halls at any point in the day or that she just showed up right before the match started. <laughs> you know, she she didn't get there early. Nobody said, hey, hey we, you okay? N- nothing. She just like that all day long. Or even if she did come out there, let's just assume that for the sake of argument that no management person did see them. Coming through the curtain, nobody's like, hey, what are you doing? You can't go out there. And let's say that that wasn't the case. <laughs> let's assume that that wasn't. Why would Jesse Jones, by any stretch of the imagination, walk out there? I mean, other than the fact that she's a baby face, you know, but even baby faces have to, have to concede sometimes. I don't think this needed to be another case of, I have to do it, David. I got to fight. It, it wasn't necessary. We just saw somebody try to do that. Uh, David McClain puts on his matchmaker hat at this point because, you know, he does everything here. He introduces the show. He interviews the people. He makes the matches. He's the lead commentator. He's the general manager and representative out in public. He does it all. And here, he switches off the commentator hat, puts on another hat, and he starts making the matches. Hold on, Jesse Jones, as he jumps up and gets on the microphone, and I guess he's got a permanent case of laryngitis. I don't know. And uh, Jesse is yelling back at him. And, you know, it seems like Jesse's the only person that really gets flack for this. As a heel, she got flack for it when she had justified reason. Now, as a baby face, she, she has no real reason that he's protected, protecting her against her better judgment. Uh, so she's saying, I got a match. And he's like, no, you can't have a match. This is, you know, I can't let you do it. There's in a discussion. He's cutting it off. So he's not being silly, David, either. He's being laying down the law, David. But rather than, because had this been a heel, it would have been, well, you came out here, so you're going to have to, you know, you, you chose to do it, so you got to wrestle. It was, you're going to have to do a handicap. Sylvia Sanchez and Vivian Rivera versus Americana. That, that likely would have been the case had it been a heel. But since it's a babyface situation, he had to even the odds. So on the microphone, calls across to Sofia Lopez, you are now going to have to pick which one of your partners. I cannot let you go in here with both of them. Jesse Jones is not going to wrestle, but Americana is, and this isn't verbatim, but I'm, you know, I'm just recapping. Americana is, and I need you to pick which one of them is going to wrestle her in this match. So it went from being a, a scheduled tag team match to a singles match now, or converted into a singles match, however you want to call it. So we have that. <clears throat> And the person that was chosen is the new addition, Sylvia Sanchez. So it's Sanchez taking on Americana. Or 
as we like to refer to her, the wish version of Santana Garrett. So <laughs> she gets out there, and now we we've got the match, and you know, and Jesse, and, you know, I forgot to say Jesse was like she was fuming hot that she wasn't allowed to wrestle on one leg on the outside with her crutch. <laughs> she, that Americana had to come over there, like, no, 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 it's okay, I got it, I got it. So now we we've, we've re. Uh, edited the match i guess i couldn't think of a better word at that time but now we've got jesse jones at ringside with crutches but we also have vivian rivera at ringside along with sofia lopez so technically speaking they're still outnumbered or or i should say americana is still outnumbered the match uh it, it this is probably one of the slower more basic matches that i have seen and i I don't want to lay that at the feet of americana but i kind of have to (laughs) so i there's portions in here where she just does not move at a very quick pace but it's enough to kind of tell the story Uh, there's a point where she gets not rivera sanchez down and she goes for her springboard splash or or i should say handstand splash finish but rivera jumps up and pops her as she comes up against the uh the ropes rivera did her job here i mean she she's even though she's not a manager she looked out for a partner she did what she could to uh, step in and uh intervene uh help her out when necessary of course doing all this behind the ref's back Good on her for the timing of getting behind the ref back. I, you know, I said before, I, you know, I felt good about Rivera, and I and I still do. So you you got that, and the, you know, the heels are doing the heel thing. There's there's a couple of spots in there where I'm sure that um, they were trying to set and position the referee up for more stuff, but that just didn't take place. But still, they did a good job, and I think. Uh, Sanchez probably deserves some credit to helping keep this match moving. I may, you know, maybe I'm being hard on America. I don't know, but the, you know, sometimes there are there are portions of her match that just kind of uh, slow down the pace a bit. I, you know, we'll we'll put it that way. But in any case, you know. Um, Sanchez again, I thought did a nice job. Got got Americana up at one point in the match, and and this nice sidewalk slam that that I thought had some really nice execution. And she she worked like a heel. <laughs> Put her down, goes for the cover. Referee counts, gets the two. What are you talking about? It's just a two. Puts it back down, tries it again. Count faster, ref. So you know she. I, I love when the little things are utilized in a match. I did not like the cameras being right in front of Sanchez and Americana when she's got this uh, chin lock on her because it, it keeps showing the the space between her throat. And it doesn't do Sanchez or Americana, for that matter, any favors. There also was a botch. 
And, you know, of course, botches happen. They happen to the best of us. But, you know, it, I don't. I guess this is a mix of communication. Americana comes off of the ropes trying to, you know, nail Sanchez. She gives her a kick in the belly, turns like she's about to give her a stunner. Instead of the stunner that she would have given, uh, I believe Sanchez thought it was going to be a neck breaker instead and turned her body to go down, which, you know, she probably should not have did. So in any case, uh, it wasn't a, a flub up or, or a uh, botch that was going to really damage anybody or uh, hurt any limbs or something like that. But, you know, there's things like that that do cause problems. You you, you want to try and minimize those as much as you can. And, and it's not like you can't find it. They, they couldn't even ed- edit that out. I mean, it's I, I guess they thought it was it was enough that, oh, well, you know, she went down. It, it wasn't as bad as uh, some of the other things. It wasn't as egregious. But it still was a botch and it still was very visible if I – had the opportunity, I would have at least tried to edit that out or get another camera shot or or clip the cut just a little bit. Uh, but getting towards the end. Um where let me let me find my, my placing here for, for where it happened because there is a point where of course the baby face starts to turn things around and she starts to get a, a, a good rally going. Within this rally, she gets her, well, she finally is able to hit her finish, her handstand into the, uh, we'll call it standing moonsault, <clears throat> or backsplash, back moonsault, whatever you want to, whichever one you want to refer to it as. But the second that she gets her opponent down, here comes Rivera. Rivera hops up on the, on the uh, apron, and now she's getting the attention of the referee. The referee, of course, is now distracted at a screaming, hollering uh, Vivian Rivera. Jesse Jones is on the other side of the ring, hitting the top rope, trying to get the referee's attention with her crutch. While she's doing that, Lopez is coming around, assumably on her blind side, although it doesn't look that way on camera, but we'll, you know, we'll give that a pass. So, assumably on Jesse Jones's blind side and comes down with her Halliburton briefcase on the knee of Jesse Jones. I like that she, <laughs> I love that Lopez, that all the managers, I've, and I know I've said this, but I love that the managers have all started to get more interactive in their matches because, <laughs> because there was a point in time where they would just stand around. But here she comes over, she pops her in the knee, Jesse Jones goes down. Right, she hits the the floor and she's holding her knee in pain. Meanwhile, Americana gets up, does the old baby face. What are you doing? You know, as she's screaming at Rivera, and Sanchez comes behind, hooks the leg, gets a great roll up, and hooks the tights. And there it is. Sylvia Sanchez wins the match. Lopez has her winner. Well, her. I was going to say winners, but she has her winner, and they, you know she's now getting her organization back on track in much the same way that earlier we saw Samantha Smart now getting her organization 
back on track. So they are moving along with some of these heels and heels factions to at least get them to the point they have some sort of credibility because none of them had it. (laughs) Not one. If you went back like two seasons, not one of those managers had any credibility. It was just loss after loss after loss after loss. But at least now they have some credibility. I don't know that that I don't mind the loss, but you want to see them get a win every once in a while. I can remember, and this will relate to wrestling, I promise you, if you listen to that. Uh, but I can remember looking at a, uh, uh, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to call it a director's commentary. I think it was more the writers and producers, but it was, we'll say director's commentary. But it was a director's commentary on Justice League Unlimited. You remember that cartoon? Some of y'all might, some of you might not. It's really good. Really, really good cartoon. Animated series. And not, I mean, I'm not going to say not for kids, but certainly, you know, they had some themes in it that I think would go over kids' heads. But in either case, they were talking about a particular episode that they wrote. I think it was called Task Force X. And it was a collective of, of uh, it, basically it was the Suicide Squad. Like, hey, we got these bad guys here, and well, let's put them to use. So they have them go and break into the, the satellite, uh, the, the watchtower, and try to retrieve some uh, information. The point of me bringing that up is the writers were like, you know, when you're writing for villains, at some point, the villain has to win. Because if you continuously put a villain up against a hero that you know they're outmatched, and, the, and it basically inside you know the hero's going to win, ultimately, it does destroy your ability to suspend the disbelief when that person is always losing. It would, you know, I don't know, it, it'd be like Batman going up against Condiment Man, and that's an actual character, by the way. Yeah, that uses like ketchup and mustard and stuff. Like, like he's, he's a, is an absolute comedy character in DC. Uh, but it would be like that, and and DC expecting you to take it seriously. Like, hey, why, why what do you mean you don't believe Condiment Man can win? <laughs> because he's never won. You know, so that's the, the point there that they were saying is like, you have to give your villains something. They have to win sometimes in order to at least allow the suspension of disbelief that the hero has to do something, have to dig a little deeper. They have to find another way, you know, to get by or get over this threat. Because if you don't recognize it as a threat, you don't, you know, it's hard for you to suspend the disbelief. You don't go into a Fast and Furious movie expecting Dominic Toretto to fail. You know he's going to win somehow. The question is, how is you know he going to overcome whatever threat that they line up? And I know that went off. That had absolutely nothing to do with Russell, but it but it does have something to do with storytelling. And I just wanted to make sure that we got that across. Now, before going to um, uh, the main event, there was another uh, segment that took place. And this is the Mother Truckers segment. We'll, we'll call it that. So if you saw uh, a few weeks back we, after a match with the Mother Truckers and, and Samantha Smart and her team, 
the end of the show had Samantha Smart calling a, well, I was going to say a tow company, but we don't know that. Calling someone and getting the mother trucker's big rig taken away. Not just taken away, mind you. Getting it taken and removed to Jackson, Tennessee. So, and keep in mind, remember, WOW takes place in Los Angeles. So (laughs) this person is, not this person, uh, Samantha Smart is getting this uh, truck taken essentially cross-country. Now, why it was necessary to go to Tennessee, I don't know. I I, I, I just do not know. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to uh, to want to do that. I looked it up. From Los Angeles to Jackson, Tennessee, now we're not talking about any specific spot. We're just talking about city to city. That's a 28-hour drive, 1,882 miles across four states. No, sorry, five. Is it five? Yeah, okay, across five states. It's... I probably should not give this kind of thought and effort to angles and storylines that they came up with, especially things that this absurd and ridiculous. But, I mean, good grief. <laughs> like, who would do this? Who, who would do this? Any tow company that takes you anywhere, like you get like a hundred miles or something like that. You know, let me not say that because different tow companies have different variations of the mileage they would cover. But uh, but even with that, we don't know if it was a tow company. Like I said, because when you get into the segment and they and you actually see what's happening, because in this episode, the truckers come out looking for their their truck. So they can go to the hotel or wherever they're going to go. And, and they discover that it's not there. And now they got to find their truck. And somehow they're just like, oh, well, you know, they came across somebody who had some sort of information. Like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, out this way or whatever. So they have to catch a bus now this is all being shot apparently because you know they come out of the building the cameras are there and they're hey where where's your partner where's the truck at you know and all that stuff so now they they decide that they got to go and and uh go track it down and as they're doing this of course this is where the conversation is between the two of them the mother and the daughter take a place i bet you is that samantha smart and she ain't smart enough to do that yeah but she's smart enough to get somebody to do it and blah 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 Again, I think this plan is stupid. <laughs> this plan is stupid. They could have literally taken that truck and and driven it to or had it moved to San Diego, which is closer, and it would have still been hard to find. You could have done it inside the city, and they, you know, and it would have been hard to find. Just having them track it down in California. Not not California, just having to track it down in Los Angeles. 
Why did it have to go across the country to Jackson? And why did they have to catch the bus when we've established that they both have their own vehicle? One of them has a truck. The other one has a tow truck. And do you know what kind of effort it would take to drive a, a big rig truck, uh, you know, get their truck away? <sighs> we can only assume that there were no security devices in there. I mean, I know some some guys you know, and family members and friends that drove trucks, and I've never known them to basically turn that thing off. They left it on because for the most part, they knew that most people are not going to be able to hop it. Even if they get in the truck, they're not going to be able to drive this thing away. Unless you have trained for it. <laughs> you know, they they pay people to do that. You know, to get the CDLs and they, so they can be able to handle those things. So whoever it is that Samantha Smart got clearly had a CDL. I mean, I'm not going to say that that's going to be difficult for her to find. I just don't understand the plan. Uh, so, or why they had to somehow catch the bus to Jackson, Tennessee to get this thing. Or that they didn't have any family members, you know, that could could have done something for them. Like, hey, would you get this thing and uh, lock it up, and we'll come back? I mean, because what are you here? Are you truck drivers in in California, or are you rustlers? I know a lot of times in the wild universe, the occupation becomes more important than you being a rustler. But which one is it? Because this is a story that. There's portions of this that I have a hard time swallowing. If this is your job, let's just say that for for the sake of uh, this story, there's two scenarios that could be portrayed. Either they are rustlers who drive a truck on the side or they are truck drivers who rustle on the side. So let's go with option one. Option one is that there are rustlers who happen to truck drive. This is my personal vehicle. Now, if that's the case, it should, shouldn't it just be reported stolen? I mean, I know that's a lot of uh, thought, <laughs> but you probably could have gotten the same amount of drama that they put into this if they had had to go through and call the cops and they were fuming over it rather than, hey, we got to go all the way back to Jackson and then go all the way back to Los Angeles immediately. Only on television does that seem like a feasible idea because they cut away everything. When you're watching it on, on their show, it looks like Los Angeles, Tennessee, Los Angeles. Boom, boom, boom. Now, I know, it, of course, you're editing this, and it's been weeks, so they probably could have. But, you know, like, why? Why? Why, why are we doing this? And then when they get to Tennessee, there's already cameras set up there. And, you know, I, I have to keep coming back to saying, yes, I know that this is, you know, you have to allow concessions for television and showbiz and stuff like that. But it could have probably worked just as well if they walked in there with their cell phone recording themselves. So it looked a little bit more legitimate rather than a staged uh, theft. I mean, if you wanted to get people to, you know, kind of at least suspend disbelief a little bit. So... They catch the bus. No particular bus line. They don't identify that. And they go back all the way to Jackson, Tennessee. And somehow go immediately to the location where this truck is. Now, I know Jackson is not a huge city, but it ain't small either. And I'm pretty sure they could have had multiple places. Uh, 
But they somehow go directly. They they you know asked around. They got the the right location, and they go to this stable. It looks like it wasn't even in a trucking yard or something like that. It wasn't behind a fence. <laughs> it wasn't locked up or nothing. Just here, it's, it's open. They walk up to this guy. Hey, that truck over there, which is and, and is is playing it's like it's in an open area, so it's not even hidden. And then somebody had to point out to me because <laughs> I didn't pay attention to it the first time. But one of my coworkers pointed out to me, "Is like, why is that woman back there sweeping the dirt?" <laughs> then I looked. I was like, "Yeah, she's like, she's out here with this this thing, just you know, kind of sweeping around. It's like, well, there's nothing on the ground, and she's just sweeping dirt. Like, it's just we're we're outside. So that's that's what he meant. He was like, she's outside on a dirt plane, just sweeping dirt around." Assumably, just so she had something to do on camera, so she didn't look like just a prop. But still, it's just it's just silly. So, <laughs> so anyway, like I said, the truckers get to this this uh, stable. Looks like the truck is there and is not hidden or behind other trucks or anything like that. So I I guess this person either knew the person that drove it across or he came from Los Angeles with their keys and just so happened to still have the keys in his pocket. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm thinking the quickest scenario that this could have happened in is, is at least a day. That, that no, 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 no. That, that Maybe two. <laughs> Because apparently, uh, when the truck was sent out there, it's not like they they followed it immediately. So, but 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 yeah, let, let's go to the first thing. That the fastest scenario that this could have been in is a day and some change. So that would have negated them sleeping or you know whatever the case. They, they would have just had to, the the guy that drove would have had to just drive straight on, right? Uh, now they could have been behind him on the bus and slept, but you know whoever it is, either he had a partner or maybe the woman that was sweeping the dirt to help him along, right? When you get there, you you don't settle down or go inside a building or put the keys away. And so, I mean, that man literally just had it was walking around there for whatever reason, and just had the keys in his back pocket. And, yeah, very convenient. Very, very convenient for them. So the truckers get there. They see him. Like I said, she asked about the truck. Hey, we, we need our keys. And I didn't. And up until then, I didn't even know Samantha Smart somehow stole the keys. So we're going to assume that the keys were just sitting inside the truck, which, again, actually, I can buy that because I do know truck drivers, like I said, who leave their trucks running. Uh, so the guy's like, yeah, I'll give you the keys and, uh, you know, I get just wrestle me for it. You know, being the typical uh, pseudo-rapist, you know, <laughs> again, paper thin, sleazeball on, on screen, looks like a sleazeball, therefore is, you know, paper thin. She says, yeah, I'm okay, I'll wrestle him. Goes over, kicks him in the balls, goes directly towards his pocket, pulls out the keys, like I got him, and then they walk into 
walk off, get into the truck and drive away. Assumably now heading back towards Los Angeles for their near 30-hour drive. I, I I understood the the want to do this vignette. I and it shot well. It just like I said in in my world, it defies some logic. It it, it just has some plot hole points for me. That's that's all. Because I know the first thing that in a, in a real world setting, the first thing that they're gonna do is like, oh, all right, look, I'm calling the cops. So either you get my truck back here or you go into jail. End of story. That 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 would have it would have been less dramatic, but let, let's face it. You walk outside and you and your ride is gone. If you got a phone, that's probably where you're going to and it's not like they was in the middle of nowhere. They literally just left their job or at least one of them. They could have walked right back in that building like, "Hey, look, I need to use the phone and and somebody need to tell me what Samantha smart is cuz I'm about to whoop her ass or something." You know what I mean? If you came to the conclusion that Samantha Smart was responsible for this, and they did, and you know you have a phone, and, and it's your primary source of of uh, transportation, the the real world solution would have been I'm calling the cops and reporting this thing stolen. And you know they got some kind of crazy insurance on that. <laughs> But anyway, that does I mean that's I know that's going into like super realism, but come on. It, the the driving a truck to Jackson is just absurd. When they could have done gotten the same mileage out of no pun intended, they could have gotten the same mileage out of saying, Hey, we, they stole it, drove it around, you know, to the other side of Los Angeles or up to Frisco or San Diego or you know, something that's not eighteen hundred miles away. That's just ridiculous. All because all she wanted to do was hide it from them and get it away from them, which is what she did. And you know, but God, this is like a, a theft. <laughs> well, it is theft, <laughs> and they didn't bother because we're gonna take the law into our own hands. You know, the rewrite of this for me, the rewrite would have been. They come outside, car stolen, yelling at the sky, cussing up a storm. Get the sensor button ready. Call the cops, and I'm going in to find Samantha Smart right now. That that would have been the lines given to Big Rig Betty. Finds her. I know it was you. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I know it was you. Mad because we would really you're gonna you're gonna take my truck away because you're mad because we won. I take you got about ten seconds to get on the phone and get my truck back here or else. Now you you know we we've established some some heat. If I don't call her, what you gonna do about it? I got money. We'll we'll just say that she has some money, and I can get myself out. You know, matter of fact, I'm small enough. I can represent myself. I had nothing to do with your thing, and you can't prove it. Fine. I tell you what, I'll go see David McLean about this. We'll, I'll sell it myself. Done. Over with. Finished. And I could have gone to any number of stipulations from that point out. Started off next week like, hey, look, you know, we, we found out what's going on. We're still looking for my truck. 
but I got some news for you, Samantha Smart, and then you lay out whatever stipulations you have. And and if I win, I get five minutes with you in the ring. Now we're cooking. We're getting somewhere. And they may well go there anyway, but, you know, I'm just saying there's another way to go. Main event time. They set this up talking about how we got to this. You know, uh, the retelling of various things that took place weeks prior up into this match and including why Leah McCorner was not in the gauntlet match that they fictionalized that she should have been in in the first place. Now, she probably was in it, but like I said, that they changed some things. In this case, they changed, and Leah McCona, who was on her way to the championship match, got injured before she was able to go, and therefore got reassigned by Penelope Pink, and she won the title. So now the retelling isn't that uh, Penelope Pink got some sort of uh, – made up wild card now she just took so-and-so's spot because she was hurt and she couldn't compete so she's a direct line to her winning the championship despite the fact that she was eliminated from being able to win the championship the week prior you still with me because i'm not even i'm saying this and that sound confusing so they lay all that out and like I said, up to the point where we have now this faction versus faction war, four and four, for no particular thing other than you know we we just, we got beef, and this is getting serious, and we got to settle this, and we got to settle it now. Good enough for me. Doesn't doesn't need much more than that. I and I like that they all have intertwining plot lines and stories even though I don't like the fact that WoW kind of retold some of it the fact of the matter is the things that the people have seen are good enough they don't have to try to make this and they keep shoehorning this and Vicky Lynn's the centerpiece she's the glue she's the nucleus of the like how she didn't do anything let her just be the enforcer. She's taken on the task of, hey, and if you want to get these championships, you got to go through me. That, that You don't have to try to make her out to be something bigger than what she is. She hasn't been the glue. She hasn't been responsible for anybody maintaining it. And a lot of times I really think WoW just assumes that either people's memories are bad or they do not watch the show or this is the first show that they saw. So therefore, everything that we tell you, you'll just take it. But in it, but yeah, they all have some intertwining story. We just saw Leah McCona lose, and she, and it didn't need to be some. She got her spot or something. She literally got cheated out of the match. She was she was on the way to victory until she got a sharp detour into defeat via Lana Star and Penelope Pink holding the tights and clutching down on that roll-up. That was good enough. She got cheated out of a championship she should have won. That's motivation. Tiki Chamaro was pretty much being bullied by her. Now, they never got the chance to lay a hand on her because the Tonga Twins came out. And they that was the point where they essentially adopted her into their, you know, well, not the Tonga Twins. Uh, Makona came out the first time. 
And then the Tonka Twins on another episode. But the point being is that they inserted their, themselves into her world and chose to protect her. And so that's, you know, that right there is something. And of course, they came out and saved her when she had a match uh, against one of the Fab Four earlier in the, the sixth the six person. And uh, the twins, the two sets of twins. Of course, we know that they were like the beginning pieces of this. The baby face Miami Sweet Heat up until they got to the finals, where it was theoretically a baby face versus baby face, but they never established the Tonka Twins as baby face at that time. So you had this theoretical match of baby face versus baby face until they turned and went with uh, Lana Starr and helped form what became the Fabulous Four. It all intertwines. It all works. I think that, you know, it, it didn't need extra embellishment. What they had was good enough. I wish it would have built to this, but what they had was good enough. Now, I'd also said to uh, the same coworker that I was talking about, uh, the lady sweeping the dirt. Because he was like, man, this too, he, wasn't, he wasn't invested in it. And I said at that point, well, I would have liked for it to have more buildup too. But, and this is a, a pivotal point. If this is not a, you know, a, a major climax point, which let's say like a war games, you know, that that was kind of served the purpose of having the baby faces be able to win and defeat the heels without the heels losing championships and position and things like that. We'll beat the group. We haven't beat you individually. So the superpowers and road warriors can go over, over the horsemen without the horsemen losing a lot of ground. And that's as if, if this four person match, this four women match is that, if it is the means by which the baby faces get to come in, defeat the heels, and the heels still maintain their position, and we get a jump-off point from here on out of interchanging matches where the Tonga Twins can take on Pink and, and Vicky Lynn or Makona and Chamorro can go after the tag team championships one week or, you know, the Chamorro could get the underdog fight for the championship. You know, there's any number of ways that they can go with, with this. If this is a jump off leading into some of that and then to a major championship match, then I'm okay with it. If this were just here just to fill a spot and then vanish, that's when I'm like, oh, God, come on, you know, why, guys? That's when I would have that reaction. So I was like, you know, we have to sit and see the match to see where this is going before we give that kind of judgment. And he was fine with that and glad of it because the match was good. The match was good. I thought this match was what it needed to be. The second that bell rang, it was chaos. And, you know, you, you got all four of them in there. They started off hard. They started off hot. You, you had, you know, uh, varying uh, matchups there. Tomorrow was against the Enforcer. Pink was against Makona. The Twins were against the other Twins. And they were just all over the place. And this 
was good. Didn't have to be a technical masterpiece. Didn't have to uh, go for a long period of time. Didn't have to be some 20-minute back-and-forth classic. It was what it needed to be by terms of personality. It was what it needed to be by terms of angle. It was what it needed to be <clears throat> Excuse me. by terms of the conflict that they have painted the picture for leading to this point. And it seemed like most everybody, I'm not even going to say most everybody, everybody, from Lana Starr to Penelope Pink to the Twins to Vicky Lynn to Makona to the Tonga Twins to Chamorro, everybody was firing on all cylinders. It's like, it's like they came out motivated to do as good as they could possibly do to make this work. And if there's a match that you should look at, from WoW, and I'm going to say anywhere in his history, this is probably going to be that match. Up until this point, my favorite match had been uh, Jungle Girl versus Tadavik the Gamer. Not like, it, it again, it wasn't a 20-minute classic, but it was it was simple, it was basic, and, and it was a good storytelling match. Here, this was a good storytelling match with all the extras of the violence that they could portray. Like I never got the impression that there was, hey, we're going to have a nice respectful match, guys. Nope. It was just all like I hate you. We're going <laughs> we're gonna to do this, you know, beat you as hard as humanly possible. Now, of course, you know, that you're going to see points where they're not really smacking each other like that, but, it, but it's... This is it's a fun match. It is a fun match. I can't I, I can't say anything less than um, as it relates to that. Um, the brawl did settle down, but it settled down to what I would say a controlled brawl or controlled uh, the action. That I don't know if you, what how you want to phrase that. Because it wasn't like it was all over the place, but they did, you know, still kind of maintain some intensity there, you know, even facially and what what have you. I thought the uh, the Carlson twins were were really good in their their position here. Uh, having seen them on the independents, I, I think they have continued to grow. Um, I really want to see them go and go someplace and take their act to another location not saying leave not you know not leave while but it would be nice to see them go after the uh, women's nwa tag team championships or the impact knockouts tag team championships i i think they are uh building their their reputation and their stock up and and to the same note the tonga twins probably should should try that at some point also uh one thing i have noticed and you probably heard this if if my if i did the edit that i'm thinking of doing <laughs> but and you probably heard at the beginning the audio from one of the twins now, i don't i don't remember if it's cone or chaos but the promo that she did had a lot of passion behind it a lot of passion a lot of fire I, it's it's not hard to to get behind people who give you that 
which is why I've always kept going like I wish they would do more promos. I really wish they would so we could get the feel and feel the passion that was delivered. Uh, so I guess we have to get back to some point where we can talk about the match or at least how it kind of uh, ended up. It was a nice um, back and forth match. The heels healed up good. The baby faces did the same, you know, did, did the baby face stuff. Tomorrow, <laughs> you know, she did the underdog deal a couple of times in there. The the tongue has got to get in there and look strong, uh, you know, with a with a nice. The APA used to do something like this. It was a nice sidewalk slam. I mean, they 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 all got to do their thing, and and I would have gone into this thinking that Leia McCona would have been like the uh, overall star. But I actually think the Tonga Twins were were kind of some, somewhat of a show stealer here. Uh, so at the end, the Twins are tagged in, and they more or less clean house. I mean, they, they get the double spine buster, which is what I was thinking of with the APA a second ago, to uh, Vicky Lynn McCoy. They drop both of the... Go the Carlson twins. I was about to say the Gohart twins. With that is their name on the Indies, by the way. And then Penelope Pink comes off of the uh, ropes, and they catch her, and they do a double uh, followaway slam. They, now it, that one got kind of away from them a little bit, but fortunately for them, the editors did the best job that they could here. <laughs> they 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 uh, saved that so it doesn't look bad on screen. So. The twins have basically cleaned house. They have taken out every member of the Fabulous Four minus Lana Starr because, you know, she's the manager and she didn't get in there. <laughs> so this kind of reignites a little bit of a few, I mean, not a few, but a brawl. On the outside, uh, Makona goes out the pink after she has been thrown, you know, with the following slam and she kind of rolls out. Makona catches her pink throws her into her being Makona into the guardrail. And then tomorrow comes off out of nowhere on top of pink. The Carlson twins put the full Nelson lock on both of the uh, Tonga twins, holding them for Vicky Lynn McCoy. But McCoy charges in the Tongans break free McCoy double clotheslines both of the, uh, the Miami Sweet Heat. The twins, uh, the Tonga twins, I keep having to remind myself there's two sets of twins here. The Tonga twins hit their finish on Vicky Lynn McCoy, and boom, one, two, three, they won the match. And nice enough that one of the, one of the Carlsons <laughs> tried to get in there to, to stop it. And again, it, I love seeing the small things like that. You know, that somebody is thinking about, hey, you know, if this were real, what would I be doing? Well, you know, she tried her best to get in there after, you know, and she looked she looked apart. She looked like she was struggling and tired, but just couldn't couldn't make it. And the other uh, Tonga twin fought her off while the other set of twins, she just was a little bit too too little too late. 
And again, the Insta facials, the, the look on her face like, gosh, because she was seconds, inches away from being able to save her. She just couldn't make it. You know, it's like she's crying on the mat. So, I mean, if this is a, I'm not going to say it's a one-match show. It's not. It's not a one-match show. The matches were fine, but this is the match that saves the show overall in terms of, like, if you were going to rate this thing, because this has the angle behind it. This uh, has something that has an ongoing story. The Amber Rodriguez, Steffi Slay's match was a cold match, like I said, but it was decent, just didn't have any, anything attached to it. The disciplinary G.I. Jane match versus Campanelli and Rara, they made an angle out of right then and there, and I guess it could go somewhere, but that's the beginning of that. So it didn't really, you know, have a lot. It was nice. It was good. And like I said, it's good for the disciplinary G.I. Jane, but that's just the start. Uh, the Sanchez Americana match. Again, it kind of had an angle going into it, but it was an but it was an angle not relative to Lopez, Sanchez, or Rivera. So, you know, and the match was what it was, decent, but hey, wasn't going into anything going into that either. The main event, however, had something going into it. And I can say nothing else, but they delivered. It was short, but good. And I guess when you when I think about it, it didn't have to be long. Like a War Games match has to be long because how it's set. War Games is, okay, we're going to start with these two guys and then one and then another and then every two minutes. So you know you're going to get at least, you know, like, what, 10 minutes before they even get to the meat of the match or something, you know, something along those lines, depending on how many people are participating, whether it's three, four, or five teams. So, you know, it just depends. And the segments of intervals. Those matches have to be long. They're, you know, they're main events on pay-per-views. You know, you, you got to deliver the goods to give people what they want. Here, it did those things. It delivered the goods. It gave the people what they wanted. Uh, and and I think this match actually got them up. It got the crowd up. They wanted to see them win. And there's a nice shot when everybody's got their hands raised in there. You know, And, and honestly, I know the people out there are entertained by a while, but still, Sometimes you don't, it doesn't reflect in the crowd, but they got, they got up for this. <laughs> you know, you, you can look at this show a lot of times and just see, you know, them kind of sitting on their hands. But when the twin, the Tonga twins won this match, there was visible applause and adulation, happiness. This is what it should be. And, uh, I can only imagine if that was a how much more uh, not relieving, but uh, how much more it would have been for the crowd if it had a huge build or a stronger build to it. But as it is, they were into it. The action was good, easy to follow, and like I said, they delivered on. They didn't promise you anything, but they delivered the goods in that. It's a it's a B plus B plus show. 
know, uh, I it it still gave me interest, and I'm interested in seeing where this feud will go, and if the uh, Fabulous Four will turn around and get their heat back. Back in the day, you know, it was it was a case of, and I'll I'll use the Horseman again. It was a case of the Horseman getting back on TV like nothing went wrong. You know. <laughs> They just they just brush it off like it wasn't nothing big. Oh uh, yeah, so what? I mean, I'm still the world's champion, so boohoo. You know, I just, I, I would have won if or something like that. So these are the moments where I think they should be prepping to help push the personas of some of these people a little bit more, so we can invest in them, invest in Leah McCona and maybe her quest to become the champion. Invest in Chiki Chamorro and maybe her quest to, you know, overcome these odds that the Fabulous Four are doing it and me do it on my own with, without my bigger sisters helping me. But maybe it's the quest for the Tonga Twins to, you know, to get back at, you know, get that rematch that 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 lusted for, wanted rematch that they've been, you know, waiting to have for weeks against Miami Sweet Heat. Maybe it's those things. And find, you know, maybe those are things that we find out the motivations, the why. Or find out why Lana Star is so high strung on wanting to maintain these championships. What do these championships mean to her? What what, uh, what extra oomph is it that you having these does for this group or for Lana Star specifically? Those are the questions that I would want answered in, in promos or or vignettes or whatever. I don't think I'm going to get it, but I would love it. But in any case, that was the show. And uh, yeah, it was enjoyable. Largely because of the main event, but enjoyable. B+. And with that, I will close this particular one and prepare for next week's episode and an upcoming interview with a young lady that you may see in in your local wrestling scene, Brittany Brooks. In fact, speaking of Brittany Brooks, if anybody was a custom-made wrestler for a while, she might be. But you'll find that out during the interview if you listen to that. And... In closing, folks, thank you for listening to the show. As always, I appreciate your time and that you have either downloaded this or listened to it on YouTube or whatever greater podcast platforms there may be. And if you haven't subscribed, please do it. It it helps out the various algorithms across the board and it helps this channel if you're on YouTube. So again, in closing... This is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long and we will see you on the next go round. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening.